what do you think they uh, their first questions would be? When they everybody have an ideal that God is this. Everybody, even if they deny that God is this, as Scripture says, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Even still, they have an idea that there is a creator, that there is a deity that calls things to be. People fashion things in their minds to fit their lifestyle. I remember evangelizing back in Atlanta, Georgia. And one lady told me that she doesn't believe in God. And I asked, well, who is God to you? She said, well, I have my own God. And when I was engaging her, I came to the realization that her God is fashioned out of her own image. And by her standards, her God allow her to be right, allow her to be just. But there is a problem uh, with that. You know, as I just said, people ascribe to fictitious gods, gods that is that does not exist. And the reason why they do that is because they know within themselves, if I ascribe myself to this particular God, then I am just by those standards I've created on my own. In our society today, everybody is moral. Everybody is moralistic in their ways on how to be a good person. What must I do to be good? That's the question. According to human standards, we base goodness off in comparison to each other. I never murdered. I never lied as, well, I take that back. I made white lies. But that's nothing. I never stole anything from the bank. Well, I take that back. I stole $5 from my mother as a child. This ideal of being good doesn't hold up when it comes to God's standard. Because when it comes to God's standard, goodness means holiness. It means being holy, being whole and complete. And if we go by God's standards alone, all of us will fail, fall flat upon our faces. So the question that we should ask ourselves this morning, and I hope I know for sure, at least I have confidence of knowing, that we know this answer to this question. What must I do to be righteous before God? 
on my own accord can I be just before God? According to Job chapter 25, verse 4, Bildad, Job's friend, asked, How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? And these questions that Job's friend asked is what we find in our text this morning. Even still, uh, moreover, if we think about Enoch, right? A person who walked with God and God took him. And I have to just add a footnote. I don't think he took him to heaven. I think by Enoch's obedience, God preserved him until Christ came. But in that sense, Enoch was obedient to the Lord. According to Scripture, God gave Adam a law. Uh, He told Adam, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. As we all know the story, Adam failed to keep this commandment, thereby causing man to fall into sin. Adam is the federal head, the representation of mankind, in which his decision to disobey God affected every living creature, in particular humans. We know this to be true. It is undeniable that there is something wrong with the human race. There is an element of man that causes him to be flawed. We know that element is. That is sin. Sin is the virus that affected everyone and creation itself. After Adam disobeyed, sin came into this world and death and destruction soon followed. Again, as scripture says it, sin came into this world through Adam and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Spiritual death came through Adam as well. And that's why scripture says, therefore, in all in Adam, all died. Adam passed along to his descendants a sin nature that all humans possess at birth. This is why David said what he said. In Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, David said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Furthermore, Adam's disobedience caused man to plummet into total depravity. The meaning of total depravity is that those who are not in Christ are spiritually dead in the trespasses and in their sin. That is to say, man's goodness 
stems from their from their sinfulness. And whatever we do any good, whenever we do any good, there is a inkling of of sin and pridefulness that our goodness comes from. There is a self-seeking sinfulness, but not holiness. This is why scripture said what it says. Every intention of the thoughts of the people heart is always evil continually, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah repeats the same statements or sentiments. He said, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. You might say, well, I am a good person. The scripture says there is no one good, no, not even one. But the only person that is deemed as good is Christ himself. Is Christ himself. And this is what we see. This is what we see, because if no one is good, they will not willfully come to God on their own. We humans desire to love sin more than they love God himself. And this is, this is what we have seen in, in the garden with Adam and Eve when they sin. Their relationship of how it was severed away from God is, in, is indicative of how man's relationship is with God today, especially for those who are not in Christ. After they sin, they hid themselves from God. That shows us what man is doing today. That their sin is not only covering them or at least they trying to cover themselves from their own sin but their sin is causing them to be separated from God what shall God do what shall he do like I said before with a couple of guys when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not say, oops. He didn't say, oh, my bad. I didn't know that they was going to sin. It didn't catch them off surprise, by surprise. So how, did, how would God solve this dilemma? How would he accomplish this, I mean, so resolve this universal problem that is affecting men? The answer is Christ. The answer is Christ that he promised to send his only son to to be the remedy for this problem. This is what God said to the serpent. I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. So in order for 
God to resolve this problem. The remedy is Christ, and by sending his, uh, his son, he is going to bring those who are severed from God back to God the Father. In the Genesis story, there's uh, the Genesis account, there's two bloodlines, two genealogies. The first genealogy that, that Moses zooms in on is Cain. The second genealogy is Seth. And the reason why Moses looked at these two genealogies is because one genealogy, which is Seth, points towards Christ. We can lightly say this is the righteous genealogy. People like Noah, Abraham, Moses, David came from this genealogy, from this line. So you may be asking yourself, well, Travis, what does this have to do with our text? What does this have to do with Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 24? Why is it important for me to remind you of Adam's sin? Why am I telling you about, or at least informing you about, the concept of total depravity? Why am I even telling you about genealogies? And we all know that it's very hard for some people to read genealogies in the Bible. We go kind of skip over those, right? No? (laughs) I know I do. But why am I telling you about these? Now, please listen as I answer those questions you just asked me. Thank you. There are two kind of, kinds of people in this world, only two, okay? Those two persons are individuals who are in Adam and individuals who are in Christ. People who who are in Adam, are spiritually dead. They do not have a relationship with God. And by default, they are sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People who are in Christ are spiritually alive, and their relationship with the Father is restored through Jesus Christ, allowing them to be not sons of disobedience, but sons and daughters of God the Father, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and Romans 9, verse 26. This is what exactly what Galatians says. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Are you a son of 
a son or daughter of disobedience, or are you a son or daughter of God the Father? As you are in Christ Jesus by grace through faith. As you can, I, at least I hope you can understand where I'm going with this. Even the sermon title behind me, as you can see, gives you the ideal of why we are sons and daughters of God the Father and not sons and daughters of disobedience. Uh, today's sermon title is The Perfect Obedience of Christ Jesus. It is my desire that you and I look at Christ Jesus as the ultimate example of obeying God the Father perfectly. Just as much Jesus was and is obedient to the Father should illustrate to us how much we should be obedient to the Father as well. As you can see in in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, It was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Uh, Circumcision is the removal of a male's foreskin. Americans, we practice circumcision for health reasons. But however, Jewish people practice circumcision not only for health reasons, but for religious reasons. We we first read of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17, verses 11 through 14. God said to Abraham, every eight-day-old male among you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant. What was the covenant? God further said, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. The covenant of circumcision was an outward physical indication of God's covenant upon those who were circumcised. And any person who was especially Jewish, were not circumcised, should be cut off from his people. They were to be killed. This is when you read the story about Moses and his wife Zephora. God wanted to kill Moses because he failed to circumcise his own children. So his wife intervened on Moses' behalf and circumcised her sons. So when we look at this text, it says at the end of eight days when he was circumcised. Christ Jesus been circumcised. Why does did Christ need it to be circumcised? He was sinless. Circumcision was not only for the covenant itself. It was a proponent of of understanding that sin was passed down to every generation. 
So how do I know this? Well, if you read the two genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke, Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3, you would notice that, especially in Matthew, you would notice that Joseph is not his father. But starting from Adam down to Joseph, skipping over Jesus gives you the ideal that sin was passed down to generations to generations to generations. So I have to say, as a point to mothers, husbands, stop blaming your wives on how your children behave because you are the reason why they act the way they do. It is, is theoretically speaking, men are the reason why the sin nature is passed down. Jesus doesn't have an earthly father. He has an he had an, an adoptive adopted earthly father. God the father was his father and is his father. So what was the point of him being circumcised? The point of him being circumcised was to fulfill the law. It was to be obedient to the Father's will. You know, I have, there was a pastor, I would say a professing pastor, because I don't agree with his theology. Um, he made a poor illustration about how God broke the law. This is one of these Pentecostals, emotional listed uh, churches that you can attend, get your pumped up and riled up that you even forget or not even listening to what the pastor is saying. This is what he said, and I, I quote, he said, because love would take you for way further than the law ever could, I prove it to you. Let's say your child is in a horrible accident. Let's say they bust their head wide open and you scoop them up and put them in a car to get them to the emergency room. On the way to the emergency room, every sign you see says speed limit. How much attention would do you pay to the number numbers beneath the speed limit? At that moment, those numbers mean nothing to you. Why? Because somebody that you love is in trouble, and in that moment, any parent would break the law for the sake of love. He further said, what will, what really turn your heart to God is not when you're, when you hear his laws, which were given for our good, by the way, but they were powerless because they, there wasn't enough leverage in our actions to keep the law. So what God did when he sent his son. And this is when the uh, church get excited. No, he said, this is why the church get excited. Uh, and this is why tears fill our eyes. And 
And when we think about Jesus, this is why the gospel is still good news in the world, because God broke the law for love. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. At first, it sounds right until he got to that comical punchline. What's the? He made several fallacies in his four illustrations. He elevates God's love at the expense of God's perfect law. Two, he compares God's morality to man's morality. I admit, we may just pass by several traffic um, stop lights, stop signs. But this is not God's nature. It's impossible for him to break his own law. This is the most obvious fallacy that he made in his poor illustration, saying that God broke the law for his uh, broke his own law for love. Beloved, if this was true, God would not be God. He would be a lawbreaker, and he and well, you and I should go to someone else to worship, because he would not be deemed to worship as God. He will be a lawbreaker just like us. So, God did not break the law for love. He kept the law for love. That's the bit difference. He kept his own law for the sake of love. Because if he would uphold his law, I mean his law all of us would have been condemned and he would have been justified. But for the sake of love, he upheld his own law and through Christ so that we can be justified. This is one reason why Christ was incarnated. This is one reason why he came. He stepped away from his godly attributes to come and to be and to dwell in human flesh. Because he is the second Adam. He is the one is made like many like us. He was the one that was tempted like us in every way. And since he was made like us, God see have have noticed and 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 enjoyed his son fulfilling the law that that was given to men. So why circumcision is important? Because Christ came to fulfill the law. According to and this is what God had in mind previously. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. 
In Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And first, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, this is what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does teach and does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see how that pastor was wrong? But more importantly, if Christ would not obey the law of God, you and I would not have been justified in Christ. It would have been impossible for us to do it on our own. So just by him coming and to be circumcised, not that he needed it, not that circumcision, um, although circumcision represented sin, It was for him to fulfill the law on our behalf. And this is is very important. Because as I said earlier, we all think we're good in some form or fashion. We all think that we are obedient towards God. Especially for those who are not in Christ, they make up a fictitious God and they go by those type of standards, whatever they are. But this is contrary to what Scripture says. Because when we think we're obeying, God is saying, okay, that's not enough. Let me allow scripture says I uh, say what it says. In first Samuel chapter fifteen, verse twenty two, it says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So our little trinkets that we offer to God, Lord, I'm giving my time, I'm giving my money. I'm spending uh, S amount of uh, dollars on the poor. I'm doing all these things that you that you desire me to do, Lord. I'm being obedient to what you want me to do. Those are little trinkets of sacrifices that you say, okay, Lord, I did my due diligence. Now leave me alone. Sacrifices don't mean anything to the Lord, but obedience do. Especially perfect obedience. 
And we cannot be perfect. So who can on our behalf? Christ himself. As the text goes on in verse 22, it says in 22 and 23, it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. You know, verse 22 is is uh, not is talking about Mary's purification. And as I was going through this this uh, text, preparing for today, I came across the Catholic commentary, a good expositional Catholic commentary. But every time I read this author's words. He always elevates Mary to a degree where she is sinless. In fact, he even alluded to it several times. And I'm saying to myself, why would you do that? Because Mary said to herself that she is in need of a Savior. And the reason why the law, according to, according to uh, Leviticus 12, that requires females to to offer and to purify themselves this was an indication that they were sinful this is what i mean whenever that um i'm speaking as a male so when i get up move uh, remove myself from this podium don't stone me, ladies, okay? Alright. Whenever your uh friendly uh person comes every month, it was an indication of of sin itself. Huh. Why do I say that? Because this is what Eve did. So don't stone me, just say, Well, thanks, Eve. Everything could have been perfectly fine if Eve would never have sinned or been the transgressor against God's law. Every female would have a natural birth with no pain whatsoever. All right? Am I in the clear? This is what scripture says. It wasn't Adam that sinned. It was the woman that transgressed against God, according to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So whenever it was required for a female to purify herself, to make herself clean, it was the indication of sin itself. It was the indication of what transpired in the fall. 
just like Adam is the representation of man, and as I theoretically said it before, that man is the is uh, the one that passed along the sin nature. Likewise, Eve did the same thing for women. As one of um, the book says, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, and he used these terms, he said, daughters of Eve. Daughters of Eve. Anyway, as the text goes on, it said, in purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. So this is Mary desiring to make herself clean before the Lord, desiring to be holy once again. And I want you to look at this text very quickly. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 43 through 48. Give you an idea of what the meaning of purification is. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? So the ideal here is that whenever a woman, or in particular females, and according to this story, if she would have touched anybody else, they would have been deemed unclean. But when she touched Christ, she was clean. She was made pure. Not, excuse me. <laughs> she was made whole. Amen? Amen. I feel like I'm on an iceberg. <laughs> All right. Turn back to Luke chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, Verse 23, it says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It doesn't say here, but the term that Luke is describing is firstborn. Firstborn, every every male who opens the uh, open first first opens the womb shall be called holy. The, um, Israel was called God's firstborn because of the nation's miraculous beginning that started in Egypt, His deliverance delivering them out of Egypt. Uh, The prophet Isaiah foresaw a day when Israel would have a double portion of inheritance, which firstborns often do. Thus implies, firstborn implies priority or uh, preeminence, as well as inheritance. The firstborn of every tribe, except Levi, was to be redeemed by a sum of money. 
at least for five shekels. And this is what Mary had to do. So she went to the temple after she waited for 40 days. She waited for 40 days, went to the temple, offering her son to, or at least presenting her son to the priest. And then she paid five shekels. She paid some money. This is very important because we are the beneficiaries of Christ. Since he is the firstborn, we also receive an inheritance as well. This is what this is what uh, Paul said. Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-nine, for those who foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I hope I'm painting this good picture for us to illustrate the reason why Christ was obedient is there, thereby that we too can be obedient as well. The reason why Christ was the firstborn so that we too can receive an inheritance. We can receive the same things that Christ received. I know that uh, Vic uh, got everybody up and started singing and clowning uh, and uh, dancing around. I looked behind me and not a lot of men was dancing. Even myself, I was saying, I'm too cool for this. In that moment, he's right. And what I'm saying is right. We all should get up and dance. As the text goes on, it says in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of Lord. Here is this eight days old baby, Christ himself, who was circumcised. The first drop of pure divine blood on some kind of instrument. It's a foreshadowing of what was to come. His perfect obedience allow us to be obedient in Christ. Allow us to be obedient towards the Father. Because without Christ, we would not obey God. On our own, in our sin, we will just be living up, desiring to do what we want to do and when we want to do it. 
But since Christ's obedience restored our relationship with God, allow us to be obedient to God the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your written word, and I thank you for what you have done. And I thank you for what Christ did. And I pray that we will allow Christ to be the perfect example for us. Something that he didn't have to do, but was willing to do it on our behalf. I pray that as we continue this life, our obedience would not be summed up in what we are, what we will what we are doing on our own accord, but what Christ has done for us. Because our works, as Scripture says, is nothing but filthy rats to you. And I pray that he will receive the glory and honor. Amen.